gospel lesson comes from the gospel according to Luke, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 3 and 11b through 32. All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. A certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he had used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? but I am starving to death. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, Your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in. But his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, Look, I've served you all these years, and I never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned, after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him? Then his father said, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be God. God. In 1986, Henry Nouwen, a Dutch theologian and writer, toured St. Petersburg, Russia, the former Leningrad. While there, he visited the famous hermitage where he saw, among other things, Rembrandt's painting of the prodigal son. The painting was in a hallway and received the natural light of a nearby window. Nowen stood for two hours, 
mesmerized by this remarkable painting. As he stood there, the sun changed, and at every change of the light's angle, he saw a different aspect of the painting revealed. He would later write, there were as many paintings in the prodigal son as there were changes in the day. Indeed, Nowen was so inspired by Rembrandt's painting that he wrote a book called The Return of the Prodigal Son that is, takes the story of the prodigal son and tells it from the various viewpoints of the different people in the story. And there are more than one way to, to tell this story. We're familiar with the exploits of the younger son, if you've been around the church at all. This is one of these stories that even people who are not church people generally know the parable of the prodigal son. The younger son insults his dad, asks for his share of the inheritance early, and takes off and proceeds to waste all of it. Famine hits. He's not prepared. Go figure. And he begins to be in dire need. And it dawns on him <coughs> that the hired hands, his dad's servants are living better than he's living. And he realizes that all he has to do is go back to his father. He doesn't have the nerve, after all that he's done, he doesn't have the nerve to go back as a son. But he's willing to go back as the hired hand. He just wants to live like one of the servants. But at least he has some security and some safety at his father's house. <coughs> so he comes back, and he's got his little speech that, the, that he's rehearsed about how I'm not worthy to be called your son, treat me as one of your hired hands. Dad's not interested. Dad sees him coming and runs to meet him. Kills the fatted calf, sends the servants to bring the best robe, bring sandals for his feet. He is thrilled to pieces to have his son back. Then we get to the older son, and the older son is the one that I want to, follow, to, to focus on this morning, because the older son tends to get short shrift. Indeed, Luke's telling of the parable spends a lot more time on the younger son than the older son. And if you're an older child like I am, you realize that that's just kind of how the world works. The younger kid always gets the best of everything. They're always the favorite. <laughs> I love having siblings in the church when I start telling this, because I start seeing nods. <laughs> um, so... The older son has been the one to stay at home. He's the responsible one. Always, always, always was the one that his dad could rely on. And nobody even bothers to tell him that his brother's home. He starts to come in from the fields for the day. And here's music and dancing. There's a party going on and he didn't get an invitation. And he's curious first, until he finds out that it's baby brother that's come home. And dad has welcomed baby brother in with open arms. No punishment, no questions asked, just made welcome. And not only made welcome, dad even threw a party for this no good riffraff. And the older son is angry. The older son is livid. And he won't go in. He's not having it. He ain't going into that party. Not for that no good piece of riffraff that's been running around wasting his father's inheritance. 
Dad comes out. The father loves both of the sons. And right now, the older son is every bit as lost as that younger son was. He didn't, he didn't go away to get lost. He's gotten lost staying at home. He is lost in his bitterness and his resentment of his little brother. And he is as estranged from his father as his younger brother was while his younger brother was out running around and wild living. And notice what he says to his father. No respect at all at this point. He's too angry for respect. Look, he says, I've worked for you all these years and you've never given me anything. You've never thrown me a party. You've never given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. You've done nothing for me. Now, y'all, we say things sometimes when we're angry. They're not always true. I'm not going to assume that just because the younger son says the dad never did anything for him that that's actually true. My guess is that in his anger, the older son has forgotten the love that his father has shown him. But he tries to throw the whole thing on his dad. This son of yours, it's not his brother. He got nothing to do with him. This son of yours went and wasted everything you had, wasted on prostitutes. Notice Luke doesn't say anything about prostitutes when he's telling the younger son's story. So again, is the older son just going for the worst case scenario? Or is he telling the truth? We just don't know. What we do know is the older son is angry enough that he is throwing everything he's got at his father. This son of yours wasted your estate on prostitutes. And you welcome him back? And you not only welcome him back, you throw him a party? The father doesn't argue with him. Notice that the father makes no attempt to defend himself from the son's charges. He just says, look, I got my son back. We had to celebrate. Because he was as good as dead, and now he's alive and he's back. And the invitation is there to the older son to come inside and join the party. But the older son is so bitter and so angry, we don't know what the older son does. Luke doesn't tell us. Jesus doesn't finish the parable that way. There have been a lot of older brothers in the history of the church, and, and part of why I want to focus on the older brother this morning is not just because I think the older brother tends to get short shrift, and as an older sibling, I, I, that, that bothers me. It's also the fact that and a lot of the church people I know are older brothers. Not necessarily literally, but figuratively. A lot of the good church folk I know, they didn't go off and, and, and have a, a, a period of wild living. They didn't go sow their wild oats. But sometimes they're as lost, and I know I have been as lost as that older brother was. In the history of the church, there have also been older brothers. There was St. Teresa of Avila, who lived in the 16th century. Back about 
gosh, seven years ago now, I got to go on a trip to Spain. And with a group of clergy, we walked part of the Camino de Santiago. And one of the places we stopped at was Avila, where Teresa is from, and, and saw there's a beautiful statue of her in the city. Teresa never left the father's home. She went into a convent at an early age and developed a life of self-discipline that would fill anyone with, hour, with awe. She spent hours a day in prayer. She wrote an amazing book chronicling her story. One day when she was in her mid-40s, she was entering the chapel to pray as she did every day. And as she entered, she noticed a picture. A picture which had been on the walls for years. It was a picture of Jesus being scourged prior to the crucifixion. And suddenly the realization came to her that the Christ had been scourged for her, for Teresa. This was the great turning point in Teresa's life. She had stayed at home in the Father's house. She had done the right things. But she needed to know that the Christ who was whipped was whipped for her. And there was joy in heaven that day, not over a soul returning from wild living, but for a soul returning from the fields after a hard day's work. We know, as Methodists, we know the, other brother, the older brother well because we were founded by an older brother, John Wesley. John was so earnest and so methodical about his devotional life that he was nicknamed, and it was an insult, he was nicknamed Methodist. We, like a lot of our colleagues, got our denomination name out of an insult that we said, you know, that sounds pretty good. We think we'll take that on. We, we, we can deal with being called Methodist. And it wasn't until John was 35 He'd been in ministry for years. He was an Anglican priest. That he went to the Bible study on Aldersgate Street and felt his heart strangely warmed. He came home to the Father. See, getting lost is something that we can do without ever leaving home. You can be in a church pew every Sunday of your life, but not really understand the depth of the Father's love for you. I ran across, not that long after I'd been in the South, I, I ran across a saying that just because a cat has her kittens in the oven doesn't make them biscuits. And just because you're sitting with your seat in a pew every Sunday morning, that doesn't make you a Christian. It's that relationship with God. That relationship that's founded on love. Whether you have gone and squandered your days in wild living, or whether you have never left the Father's home, but you're so bitter and so resentful of what life has dealt you, that you're every bit as lost as the younger brother. Notice the Father's reaction. We are to understand, Jesus tells us this parable, so that we will understand that the Father is God. The Father sees the younger son coming home and does not wait for the younger son to get home. The father runs to the younger son. <clears throat> runs. Y'all, dignified grown-ups in Jesus' day did not run. The father doesn't care about dignity. 
All the father cares about is the fact that his son who was lost is coming home. And all he wants is to welcome that son home. And then the father seeks out the older son. The older son's mad he's not going into that party. There's no way he's going into that party. So his father comes out to him. Meets him where he is in the middle of his bitterness and his resentment. Takes everything that the older son has to throw at him. The father doesn't argue. The father doesn't get angry. Y'all, how many of us, when we have somebody that angry in our face, manage to keep from getting defensive? But the father doesn't. The father can take it. All the father wants are his sons. All the father wants is for the son to come to the party. He wants both of his sons. He loves both of his sons. They've both been lost, and he needs them both home. And so he goes out and pleads with the older brother. Try to see it from my point of view. Try to understand. I don't love you any less. Everything he says to his older son, everything I have is yours. You are always with me. You have been valuable because you've been here. And I love you because you've been here. And I love your brother even though he's been gone. So come into the party. I, I love the fact that Jesus doesn't finish the parable, if you will. There there's no happy ending here. It's not a neat, tidy, little wrapped up sort of thing. We don't know whether the older brother goes into the party. We have no idea what he does. And I'll tell you just personally, I think it's probably a 50-50 shot whether he went into the party or not. <laughs> whether he was able to pull himself together enough to understand what his father was saying to him or whether he stayed stuck in his anger. I want to close with a set of questions from Frank Cunnicutt that I came across in my reading this week and felt like this was just a really good way Jesus ends the parable with an open ending, and I want to leave this sermon with questions to y'all to consider. So where are we at parable's end? Are we inside the party celebrating? Or are we standing outside with our arms folded, refusing to come in? Jesus will not tell us how this story will end. The father passionately invites the older son inside, pleads with him to join in the welcome. Curiously, however, we are never told what the other older brother decides to do. The story ends, but it doesn't end. You can almost hear the voice of Walter Cronkite saying, you are there. Will we RSVP to a party thrown by an unfair God? Or will we stubbornly remain outside? In a world where God does not play fair, this parable forces us to make a choice. Who is the real prodigal here? Who is the real waster? From the beginning, Jesus says that this is a story about two brothers. Which one is the authentic prodigal? Which one has yet to come home to the Father's extravagant love? Whether you are the prodigal who wandered off, 
or whether you were the prodigal who stayed home but got bitter and resentful, may you hear the Father's call to come in and join the party. Amen. Amen.